Hey, uh, good morning and uh, to you, and good morning to you online, and good evening to those of you who are with us at 5.30. I think I got the day covered. Good to be with you. My name is Wade. I have the honor and privilege of being one of the pastors here at Trinity, and uh, it is my honor to be the one who brings the word today. Um, as Pastor Katie has hinted to us, we are in the season of Lent. It began on Wednesday at Ash, on Ash Wednesday and uh, continues now until Easter. Um, you know, Pastor Katie is, always tells the truth. And, you know, when we try to figure out how Lent is 40 days, and then you go read, you look at your calendar and realize there's more than 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter, it makes you wonder about that. And she said, well, you know, Sunday, every Sunday is Easter. And, uh, and, it give, and really, I mean, in a way, you kind of not be Lent on that day. But I think that's cheating. So if, <laughs> so if you gave something up, don't be tempted on a Sunday to eat chocolate, if that's what it is. Hey, um, <laughs> at the beginning of Lent, we um, often have as our lectionary reading for the first Sunday of Lent, and we're going with it, um, the uh, one of the stories out of the Gospels of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And since we're in uh, this particular year of the lectionary, we get Luke's story this year. So if you want to uh, read along, it's Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Um, where this story picks up today, you do miss just a, a little bit of the previous uh, part of the story um, where we get to see the real close-up stuff around the baptism. But know that that stuff has happened. I'll refer to that in the message later. So here's this um, good news about Jesus according to Luke. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, to you I will give their glory and all their authority, for it has been given over to me, and I will give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Come Holy Spirit, lead and guide us in this moment, that regardless of any word that might be recorded on a page in front of me, that what we experience is your word for us today and your word only. We pray this 
through the name of Jesus. Amen. So when my older son hit the fourth grade, it was just a short time into the school year that I began to sense that there was something about school that was really troubling him. There was something that was obviously causing him to be anxious about something at school. So, of course, when I asked him about it, like all kids, it seems, that age, he said there was nothing wrong and everything was fine. But, of course, as he was saying that there was nothing wrong and everything was fine, there were these massive tears welling up on the lower lid of his eyes that he just couldn't hold back. So, eventually, he told me, Dad, we have to take state tests this year. And if I don't pass them, I don't get to go to the fifth grade. There it was. He was not a good test taker. Has a brilliant mind, but not a test taker. He'd learned about the Ohio proficiency tests in school. And his teachers were letting him know of all the stuff that was coming that year so they could get ready. And it was weighing heavily on him. So we talked through it like we always do when there's something like this on his mind. Still do, even though he's 30. He eventually asked me a question I could not answer. Why do we have these state tests? Now, I thought I knew. I mean, you know, some of the obvious things that you could assume. But I began to second question myself. So I went on a quest to find out the answer to the question, why? Now, you guys know that I'm pretty nerdy, right? And, and believe it or not, I was able to find on my hard drive of my computer my notes from when I went on this quest to find the answer why to this. And as I said, he's 30 now, right? He was before 30. So I looked at my notes, and, and I started with a Google search back in the early days of Google. And I found hundreds of pages on the Internet about the Ohio proficiency tests. And of all the sites I found, I put them into these categories. How to help your child prepare for the proficiency test in Ohio. Sample proficiency tests you can give your student. Tutoring available to help kids pass proficiency tests. Lots of sites defending proficiency tests. Lots of sites blasting <laughs> proficiency tests. What I could not find is a simple answer to the question, why? So, I decided to call the Ohio Board of Education. I spoke to three administrators. I ask each one of the them the question, can you provide me with some information as to why we have proficiency testing in Ohio? Is there a mission or a vision statement from which you operate? None of the three could answer the question why. One of them did say to me, well, we're not the ones who wrote the law. We just have to implement it. So I said, uh, we do it because it's the law. Yes, I wasn't satisfied. Now, I was not living in Columbus, so don't try to figure out who some of these people are. 
My next call was to the Ohio State Senate, my Ohio State Senator's office. Talk to the aide about this. Well, they could not answer my question or have immediate access to the information to the question why. So I called so many governmental offices because it got to be kind of a, a thing, right? <laughs> Can you answer the question why? No one could. When I was getting ready for today by beginning to look at the text from Luke that is appointed for today, I remembered when I went through all that. I remembered that as, as, as I was, was working the text because, because this, is a, this is a story about a test, about a test. More specifically, it is Jesus' test before he begins his earthly ministry. And so as I began to study the passage, I landed on the question, like Jesus, we go through spiritual tests in our lives. Why? Why do we have to be tested? Why in my spiritual life are there tests? And when we face difficult times, we often struggle to understand the meaning behind <clears throat> what we are experiencing. I mean, testing is a part of our, of our culture. It's, it's all over the place. I mean, of course, our kids have tests in school, and there's market testing, and there's medical testing, and there's product testing, all kinds of testing. And it seems like even though each of those is a little bit different, they serve a common goal, and that is to try to learn something not previously known. We're going to test this new product to see what we can learn. About it. Now, one of the realities that you and I will experience, of course, is spiritual testing. And why would we be surprised? I mean, why would we be surprised that testing, that we would encounter tests of the spiritual life in the spiritual journey? I mean, after all, even Jesus could not escape a test and trial of temptation in the wilderness. Why would we think we could avoid them, right? So our text tells the whole story, all the details, the kinds of ways that the devil tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. That I think the devil thought, if successful in this temptation, I will derail the ministry of this Jesus. Maybe not right away, but at some point. You know, it's like when they dig up the old tweet that you put out there, right? Before he began, before uh, he had to first travel through this wilderness. And it wasn't a wilderness of uncertainty that he just wasn't sure if God had really called him in that way or he was really the right, right guy. That was figured out. It was a wilderness of temptation. Quite simply put, he was put to the test. Right after his baptism. Right after God has declared, you are my son, the beloved, he gets pitched into the wilderness. Um, actually, the Greek word for pitch, just, you know, I'm giving you a little bonus here. It's worth an extra quarter in your rice bowl. Uh, the Greek word is, is like literally flung, the word flung. Jesus was flung into the wilderness for the temptation. 
it, it was probably the Judean desert, I mean, which is not a hospitable place whatsoever in itself. I mean, after all, it's a desert, but it's full, it was full of robbers and bandits and wild animals. It was not a desirable place to be. And Jesus' temptation in the wilderness was his personal test. And it was a test that likely gave him an assessment about his understanding of what his task was about to be and that he had the ability to do it. He figured that out in the wilderness. But it was also a test that I believe empowered Jesus. Having survived the wilderness, the wild beasts, and even the devil, he emerged ready and tested for a life of ministry. Now in our spiritual lives, we have times of testing. And it's in that testing that often we can make an assessment of where we are and our ability to be up to the challenge and also can empower us, can strengthen us for the life of following Jesus. But here's the, the thing that's really tough about this. In almost every single case, um, it comes in the form of temptation. Temptation, that's where tests are. Now I want to share with you a couple of insights from the text that I think might help us answer the question, why, when we face a test. Now, the first one is an incredibly long sentence because you know we preachers cannot say anything in one word if we can say it in 30 words, right? I could not boil this down to one. So you're going to get the whole load but I'll try to do it in a way that it makes sense. Here's my first insight from the text. Being baptized, having the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ is no immunity from the struggles with the forces of evil. Get that? Being baptized, having the presence of the Holy Spirit is no immunity against struggles with the forces of evil. Where'd I get that? Well, that's exactly the precursor that Jesus went through. He was baptized. The power of the Holy Spirit came upon him. And he was not immune to an encounter with the, the forces of evil. Right? You see that? It's one of the hardest lessons for us, I think, as Christians. We, we want to have this pie-in-the-sky idealistic impression that once we give our lives over to Jesus and we live and grow in him, that we ought not have to deal with evil anymore, right? That we'll be immune from that. It does not happen. It didn't happen for Jesus. It doesn't happen for us. We are not immune to the snares and the traps of evil, but rather our baptism and the presence of the Spirit are provisions for us when we have these real encounters. They are the provisions that carry us through. And I've told you uh, a couple of times that I went through some really, really difficult things in my second year of seminary. I almost quit. Uh, I had two significant deaths in my family. Uh, a close friend was killed in a car that I had provided for him to drive. Um, we had no money, <laughs> um, even for the basic needs. Often we wondered where our next meal was come for, would come from. You know, that's just some of the stuff in that second year. Now, I want to be clear that I don't think we were experiencing that stuff because of evil, because, but 
but simply experience a lot of that stuff because it's what it costs to go to seminary, right, Greg? <laughs> and, uh, um, but, but what I want you to pay attention to is my response to that situation because I think it, I think it is a parallel experience to when we discover we are not immune from evil, okay? It's my response I want you to pay attention to. At one point that year, I got so angry with God about the stuff we were going through that I remember I walked out into the backyard. We lived on a farm, and so we were kind of isolated by ourselves. I walked out back, and I raised my fist to God, and I shook it, and I gave it to God the best I could. Mad. I remember I was out there yelling, I gave up everything I had to do this. I gave up my savings. I gave up my career that was going great. And then y'all know me well enough, I included this. I gave up my convertible. Good Lord. I expected you to protect me. Why can't I trust you to isolate me from these problems? I, I did that. You ever done that? In my spiritual journey, though, I think I was suffering from a thing that I think is still pretty present in the Christian family today, so I want to put it away today. I was suffering from what I like to call transactional theology. You know what transactional theology is? That's kind of this sense that we live in, a, we live our lives having a deal with God. I will do these things, and I can expect you to do those things. You see the transaction, right? But, but you know, that's kind of where I was. Um, that's not good theology, gang. So um, let's, at Trinity, let's get rid of transactional theology. But the insight that I gained was a whole different way of thinking theologically about suffering and pain. And it's not that God is promised that if we are in Christ, we won't experience that. And we are never promised that we will not confront evil in our lives just because we are in Christ. Gang, evil is a thing. Evil is a real thing. You want to see it with your own eyes? Go home and turn on the TV and look at the war in Europe. Evil is a thing, and evil is driving that thing. We are not immune to evil. But in Jesus, the one who confronted evil in the wilderness reminds us that he was not immune to it, but he overcame it. And that very Jesus comes to us when we experience evil with the spiritual tools to overcome, not only overcome, but to prevail. So we often want to know, where is God when we are tested? That leads to the second insight. Good news, insights two and three are not as long as number one. Second is this. We are assured that God is with us in the test. God is with us. While temptation rooted in the forces of evil is not, I don't believe, initiated by God, we can count on God to be with us when we go through the moment of trial. God can use the perils of satanic temptation to strengthen, to refine, to prepare, to inspire, 
to transform our spiritual life. The, the, the promise of faith is, of course, we like to say, well, one day God will set all things right. God will wipe away our tears. But in the present age, gang, today, where death and destruction are still with us, God's grace brings us along by empowering us to defy evil in the processes of working to defeat it. And when we come out of the wilderness, when we survive the temptation, when we make it through the test, it yields an assessment for our capacity. Now, there's a story of a, of a woman who um, was a fugitive from justice after she had been an accomplice to a bank robbery when she was a college student and a police officer had been killed in that robbery. So for 23 years, she was a fugitive from justice, all those years running, and um, she decided to turn herself into authorities after 23 years. Now, what makes her story interesting, I think, is that she had put together a pretty enviable life. She was married, had a daughter, a good job, all the ingredients we think that should be there for happiness, except one. She said she didn't, she, she was not the person she appeared to be. And when she was asked why she turned herself in, her response was like this. She goes, because I had to reclaim my past in order to live with full authenticity in this moment, in openness and truth, instead of hiddenness and shame. Friends, perhaps this journey we're on called Lent is a time for us to turn ourselves in for the temptations and the tests we have not passed. That God would transform our tests not passed into an opportunity to really move to full authenticity. So we can live in openness and truth and no longer in hiddenness and shame and give us the provisions we need for the next test. The good news is the promise of presence in a time of trial. So here's my final insight. We can maybe frame it in the words of our sermon series. You know, Pastor Katie introduced it as cultivating and letting go. Cultivating and letting go. Um, because, you know, in a way, that's what we saw Jesus do in the wilderness. So why test? How does exploring spiritual testing inform our journey for the season of Lent? Um, well, it's different from every, for everyone. I mean, each test, every temptation, every struggle, it's unique to you. Your, your big collection of temptations are yours uniquely, right? We share some of the same ones, but you have your collection. I have my collection. What is, what is universal, though, what is the same in all of those realities is is that in times of encountering and resisting evil, we encounter, and the evil in the world is an opportunity that we can overcome and we can grow. That's unique, or that's universal to all of us. So like Jesus, our wilderness experiences, our times of testing, often bring clarity to us and naturally lead us to the recognition that there are some things in life that we just need to let go of. So I'm wondering if the text really is kind of giving us the invitation to turn ourselves in. And, and I mean, you know, I mean, I think that's p 
I think, I think that, that Lent is genius. Why do I think Lent is genius? Because Christians put on their calendar every year 40 days to turn themselves in for the trials and the temptations. That's when we talk about Lent is about repentance, right? To turn ourselves in and to let go. Why, why let go? Letting go often creates a space to cultivate something new. Now, um, Debbie and I are trying something with which we are not successful at this point. We want to live a little bit more of a minimal lifestyle without so much stuff in the basement. Are you with me? So part of what we've been thinking about is if we bring something in new, at least one other thing got to go out. We got to let go of some of the old stuff that's holding us back from cultivating something new. Does that make sense? I know that's a very weird illustration, but I have a hunch most of you get that. Are you with me? At least say amen or something. Give, give a brother a little help up here. All right. <clears throat> um, I find it interesting, but not surprising, that Jesus' greatest test came when he was about to do his best ministry. Catch that? His greatest test came when he was about to do the best deal. And I have found that I often face the most significant tests, often including temptation, when God is about to do a new thing through me. How the devil works that, I don't know. It seems to happen. When God wants to cultivate something new, I often confront the test. All right. What do you, what, what do you need to cultivate? And what do you need to let go? We're on the journey. We're starting today. Pastor Katie asked you to start thinking about it early on. That's by design, so I can come back to it right now. What do you need to cultivate? What do you need to let go? What, what, what if you let go of some stuff could, could give some space for God to, to cultivate something um, new in your life? Um, I don't know what, what it is, but whatever is yours, um, I invite you to bring that to the table today. I... Um, I know for me, I am going to let go of fear of losing control when I'm in a, when I'm in a test, and I'm going to cultivate faithfulness to whatever God calls me to. That's what I'm going to work on this time. So whatever you need, bring it to the communion table um, today, and uh, Pastor Katie's going to come up, and we're going to um, share in communion. Um, and I invite you to this meal that reminds us of the one who was tested, but also prevailed.